Good morning, I'm Anna Palmer. And I'm Jake Sherman. And welcome to The Daily Punch, brought to you by Punchbowl News. It's Monday, February 15th, 2021. Happy President's Day. Let's get into the mix. Here are your Washington headlines of the day. Number one, it was a busy weekend in Washington with Trump's impeachment coming to a close. We're going to recap everything that happened and what it means for power in Washington. Number two, earmarks are coming back. You heard that right. Why this could be an important change. And number three, all eyes are now on President Joe Biden and his agenda. All right, Jake, let's start with this top story. Obviously, over the weekend, it was very busy here in Washington uh, with a few snafus along the way. But Trump's impeachment came to a close as we expected for the most part. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I am surprised, Anna, that seven Republicans voted to um, to convict Donald Trump. I'm it's a little bit more than I thought. So we we assumed Lisa Murkowski would do it. We assumed Susan Collins would do it. Mitt Romney, Ben Sass, uh, Pat Toomey. Those were all kind of in play. The big surprise for me is um, Richard Burr, the Republican senator from North Carolina. And before anyone says that he's a rhino or that he's this or that he's that. I mean, this is a guy who was elected in 1994 as a conservative member of the House in the Republican Revolution of 94, Newt Gingrich's revolution. So he's not some sort of squish. Um, he is retiring. <laughs> That's which, a big which, deal. Is, which is retiring basically everything, him. right? I mean, he doesn't have the political considerations. No, he does not. He he is. But, you know, listen, I would say this. Um, you know, he... He's from a state that's changing, but that doesn't really matter because he's retiring. But um, uh, he, he is somebody who's been in office, remember, for a very long time. 1994 is a long time ago. It's 26 years ago, 27 years ago. Uh, he has has had a career that uh, um, a lot of people think is pretty impressive. He was chairman of the Intelligence Committee before he almost got before he was under investigation for insider trading allegations, which were later, later dropped. But. Yes, surprising. And I, I think uh, the New York Times does a great job this morning laying out the fact that um, this is be helpful potentially for Lara Trump, the the former president's daughter-in-law, who herself is a North Carolina native and is said to be considering a Senate race in North Carolina because people are going to say, listen, we need a real, quote unquote, real conservative um, uh, in this seat. And, and that could help her. I think one of the other things to watch and, and to think about is this kind of drama that played out on the Democratic side, right, where they all of a sudden the, the whole process was thrown into chaos uh, as it appeared that they were going to go for witnesses. They they had the, the, the votes to do it. And then once the Democrats got it, they didn't know what to do with it. And they basically backed off a couple of hours later and said, hey, you know what, we're just going to accept Jamie Herrera Butler, the Republican from Washington's uh, statement that was already on, you know, out there in the public. It wasn't as if, oh, putting it on the record in this trial all of a sudden was going to, to mean something. The reason why I think it's important, the end game is the same. They knew that they were not going to have enough Republicans to vote for impeachment. However, for Democrats, it was, a mis it was an unforced error after what I think everybody th saw them as having a very strong case, putting forth a substantive argument and number two, I think it really, you know, to the progressives was such 
a, a thing for them to rally around to say, you know what? These Democrats, Chuck Schumer, just don't get it. They weren't, aren't going to go to the mats. You know, they had Republicans on the defensive for what, two hours? And then they decided, oh, hey, you know what? We, 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 we can't do that. Yeah, they're wimps. <laughs> I hate to say it. I mean, uh, our other colleague John Bresnahan disagrees with me on this, but they're wimps. I mean, they had them on. They had them on the ropes, and and I I don't get it. I mean, this is why Democrats go into negotiations and Republicans think they're ultimately going to fold. I mean, let's be honest. This is the exact reason why. All right, the number two story of in Washington today: earmarks are coming back. You heard that right. They have not been around for quite a while. Uh, Jake, talk, talk us through the thinking of this, because for a lot of people, there has been this tension for a long time where people at earmarks would never come back, right? A lot of congressional scandals around them, kind of directing government money to pet projects, you know, the bridge to nowhere in Alaska. But now in Democratic Washington, it appears earmarks are coming back. Yeah, uh, here we go again, Anna. Um, I, this is a this is a big deal because earmarks are member directed spending. So member of Congress X gets to say, I want money for Project X in my district. And then the committee, um, the committee decides the appropriations committee, which spends money on behalf of the government, spends government money, decides which projects get funded. So there's a lot of power in this, a lot of power. Uh, it was ended. They were ended in the early 2010s after a series of scandals. Jack Abramoff, Duke Cunningham. I mean, uh, there were a lot of scandals around earmarks because earmarks went to private corporations that uh, uh, donor who donated to members of Congress. So there, it was just a Spent tons and tons and tons and tons of money, these companies, to try to get these earmarks, right? I mean, that was there was this whole industry in Washington around this. Well, I would say this. There's a lot to unpack here. Um, We might not have time to unpack at all, but there's a I would say this, Anna. I mean, there's probably good. There's probably good and bad in this, I would say. I mean, the good is that Congress is reasserting its power here. Congress is reasserting that it's going to spend money. It's going to it's not going to allow the administration to decide where where spending goes. That's number one. Number two, I would say, you know, this does open the door to uh, to some not corruption, but it opens the door to to power in the leadership because people who are not good to the leadership are not going to get um, are they're just not going to get earmarks. They're not going to get these projects done. Uh, But you know, listen. It is a. It will help the leadership manage Capitol Hill because it could incentivize people to do um, do their do their job. It could incentivize people to vote for bills. Now we should say that these earmarks are not going to private corporations. They're going to state and local governments. They're going to nonprofits. But you know, and I and I think it'd be helpful if you t- talk about just how much of a shift this is for the uh, for Washington Incorporated, what we like to call the 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 corporate end of Washington. This is a huge line of business for a lot of lobby shops and law firms. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this and it's something I was thinking about this morning is just what a shift for lobbying firms for, you know, a lot of public entities as well have lobbyists. So it's not just, you know, kind of the biggest companies in the world, but there was an entire cottage industry around the process because it is a process. It's not just like a a handshake in the back room. You get this. It's there's there. And I'm sure in this new iteration, it's going to be a lot of sunshine and a lot of who exactly was pushing for what. But this is just another lever for industry, for cities and states, for 
you know, kind of local governments to have be able to find ways to get actual money from the federal government. And certainly I think it's going to be a seismic shift back to kind of one, the power of the Appropriations Committee and the power of former staffers that do understand this very complicated process. And so it's something we're going to be covering extremely closely and look back. Yeah, this is great for reporters, right? Because we get to now cover these, uh, we get to cover the earmarks and what where where are our government spending money. And by the way, it was a lot less transparent without earmarks, right? Because then you just funded it. You fund the Congress funded agencies. Those agencies went out and spend money uh, on the administration side. And we had no idea where that money went. So we will definitely be checking back in on that uh, in the coming days and weeks. Let's turn to the number three story of the day. All eyes moving to President Joe Biden and his uh, agenda. Clearly, Donald Trump and the hangover of this impeachment trial has kind of taken a lot of the oxygen in Washington. And the president has been able to kind of maneuver behind the scenes a lot in terms of putting forward all these executive orders. But the rubbers are really about to hit the road here in terms of COVID relief. 27 days, Anna. That's how long Joe Biden and Democrats have to get their COVID relief bill through Congress uh, and to the president's desk. That's not a lot of time. Congress is out this week, so that leaves just, you know, three weeks to get this bill through. Here's what I'm wondering. Number one, minimum wage. Does it end up in the bill? Do they do a $15 minimum wage? It doesn't have the votes in the Senate. And it, and it and do if it doesn't get through the Senate, can the House pass a bill without minimum wage increase i don't i think this is a big thing for nancy pelosi we'll have to see we'll have to see where she where she nets out here number two the price tag anna 1.9 trillion dollars is where joe biden wants this bill to be if it comes in lower are people pissed off Uh, i think that's something to watch and just the basic idea of the timeline how can they get this through in three weeks. I mean, Joe Biden has had, I don't want to say an easy couple of weeks, but he's had an easy couple of weeks because it's all been impeachment all the time. Now we're right back to Democrats. We're looking at what they're going to do. And we're, we're, uh, you know, this timeline is everything. Joe Biden has said we need it by March 14th. And the other thing I just want to, I think it's going to be interesting to watch is what do Republicans do? Right. There has been a, the sideshow of the impeachment. There's been the Marjorie Taylor Greene, Liz Cheney kind of, uh, you know, undercurrent of scandals happening uh, in the House. But now, are they going to coalesce around something besides the price day? Or is the price day going to be the one thing that they focus on in these 27 days around COVID relief? The fact that they're basically not going to be a part of the negotiations. I think it's critical to see how are they going to operate in this new normal where they don't have the White House and they don't have the Senate. So something that we're going to be watching very closely. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to Punchbowl News at punchbowl.news. Have a great day and stay safe.